Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Good morning, church. If I've not met you yet, uh, my name is Aaron. I get to be the pastor of our church, and uh, we've got some new faces. And again, welcome. Uh, If you are new, I'll let you know a little bit about what we've been doing each Sunday. Um, We've been walking through the book of Genesis, sort of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we've been watching sort of God's promise to this family as they've passed it down the generations. And here's the promise. The promise is that God would send a son one day, this son would be Jesus, that would be the savior of the world. And so we're following this one family from generation to generation to generation and seeing how God provides for that family and protects that family and cares for that family so that Jesus would eventually come through that line. And this week, we get to this story of Joseph. So we've talked about Abraham and then his son, Isaac, and then his son, Jacob, and then now Jacob's son, Joseph. So this week is sort of an introduction for the next several weeks. And so this is all about Joseph's origin story. Now, just quick question. Does anybody like origin story movies? Origin story movies? Anybody? I'm a huge fan of like any superhero Marvel origin story. It doesn't matter whether it's like a villain origin story or like a hero origin story. I love them. Whether it's even like Star Wars where you've got like Darth Vader, Anakin turns it. If you have not seen it, that's on you, by the way. It's like 20 years to give you a heads up. Like Anakin turns into Darth Vader. Uh, and that's obviously a villain uh, hero or a villain origin story. But also we see like Peter Parker t- turns into Spider-Man, right? Didn't ruin that for you either. That's on y'all. Y'all, you ruined that for each other. And so it's all these origin stories. And so I, I love that. But what I find interesting is that both the, uh, villain origin story and the hero origin story, like they have the same base ingredients. Something happened in their family. They maybe came from a tough background. And then one thing made it different between the trajectory of a hero or villain. There was some sort of pain moment that they faced, right? There was some sort of death in the family. Padme died for Anakin. Uncle Ben died for Spider-Man. And both of those moments were a pivot point. Pain was the pivot point in how they responded to pain and sin in the world and challenges. And in that moment, base ingredients are roughly the same. It's how they responded to the pain, the sin, the heartache in the world that made all the difference. In today's text, we're going to see how this plays out. There's this big pain moment that's been happening in these 12 brothers' lives. And we're gonna see sort of their origin story of how they've responded to pain and sin and heartache. And all of this is really helping us to see, guys, how do we respond when we have past wounds? Like when you've been hurt by somebody, you, you have some desires in you that have end up, you've acted on them and it's caused some hurt and pain in your life. Like, how do we respond to those pain moments in our life? So if you're taking notes, by the way, here's the title of today's message. God gives the greatest grace for the greatest sins and setbacks in our life. And if you're a Christian, can you just say amen? Like you need that. God gives his greatest grace for our greatest sins and 
setback. <clears throat> so here's what we're gonna unpack. Just two points, and you're like, Aaron, two points? Is this, are you okay? I'm a little tired, but yeah, I'm doing great. Got two points rather than the typical, but here's the first one we're gonna see, guys. It's a little bit longer, okay, but bear with me. Here's the equation that happens, okay, with these origin stories. It's happened with you as well. Here's the equation. When unhealed wounds collide with your unchecked desires, it results in ungodly choices that hurt you and others. That's what we're going to see here. If you have unhealed wounds from your past, someone has hurt you, neglected, abandoned, said something to you, mistreated you, some sort of unhealed wounds from the past, if they collide with unchecked desires, meaning you're not taking your desires and saying, God, is this good and right? The way I think and feel, is this according to your good design for human flourishing? If you take your unhealed wounds and they collide with unchecked desires, the explosion ends up into ungodly choices that hurt you and hurt others. And so with that said, guys, we're actually gonna look at sort of three characters and see this play out. We're going to look at Jacob, the dad, Joseph, the favored son, and then we're going to look at the brothers. And we're going to see how some wounds from their past matched with some good desires that they had, but they left, were left unchecked, how it resulted in pain and hurt. And I want you through this to look at your own life. All of us guys in this room, you, you have been hurt in your past. You, you have had challenges. You have wounds. And I want you to see today that Jesus not only sees those wounds, but he wants to heal those wounds. And if we don't deal with the past, they come into the present and they hurt our future. And I want you to see from this passage that there's something for each and every one of you here. So let's start with Jacob. Let's look at his story. This is the dad. And you'll notice that he goes from the name Jacob, which means deceiver, cheat, and then the Bible will start talking about his name being Israel. God gave him a new name called Israel, meaning the one that God wrestled back to himself because Jacob was wandering and God wrestled him back to himself. So here's Jacob slash Israel's story. Let's pick up in verse one. By the way, if y'all hot, we've got the AC cranked up in here, but it's a big building. And so it's working on it. I should have worn like a short sleeve and like bathing suit and just, you know, done a baptism to jump in today. I don't know. It's just hot. Just hang with me. Okay, everybody good? Hang with me, okay? Just pretend like it's like first century and we're all like in the desert or something doing the like OG Bible stories, okay? Here we go. Verse one, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning. So where Isaac traveled into a long time ago with Abraham, he lives there now. He's finally made it back to the land of Canaan. We've been traveling with Jacob for a while. He finally makes it back to Canaan. He's had a pretty tough time with his uh, father-in-law uh, Laban. It's been a tough journey. He disobeyed God for a long season in his life. God said, go back to Beersheba. He's like, no, I'll go to Shechem. Terrible things happen. And finally he gets back to Canaan. It seems that all's at rest. Great origin story for his family. But here's what happens. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. Here's his family story. He's back in the land. Here's what happens. But then the story starts out by only talking about his favorite kid which is odd because it says, here are the generations of Jacob, but let me talk about his favorite kid. By the way, growing up, we had a big cabinet in our house that had tons of the actual, like back in the day, you take a picture and then like, you don't know how it went. You give it over to like CVS and they print it out for you. And then you bring it back. You're like, these are awful. Who took these? And you're like, oh, it was my mom the whole entire time. No offense, mom, because I know you watch every week. But like all of them are like pictures of my sister. And I'm like in the background, picking my nose and like eating dirt. 
And I'm like, where are the pictures of me? She's like, it just was a little harder when we had two kids versus one. I was like, is she the favorite one? And then my parents are kind of silent, but I know that like, they love us both. You know, like you're both our favorite, right? That's kind of what's going on here. You're opening the cabinet of Jacob's life and you're seeing all the pictures of, of Joseph. Verse two. So Joseph, it starts out being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock of sheep with his brothers. This is his job. We saw that was Abraham's job. This is Isaac's job. This was Jacob's job. And now he passed it on to his kids. So Joseph and the boys flock, uh, take care of the flock. It says that he was a boy. So this, keep in mind that he's probably under the direction of his father, who's his employer, which would be pretty hard to work for your dad, maybe or your father-in-law, that's Joseph. He's a boy and he's working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, which are his father's other wives. By the way, some people are like, does God like allow polygamy? Is that like an okay thing? Because the Bible doesn't ever say you should just like marry one person. The Bible doesn't say that specifically, that verse, but it shows you the disaster of what happens when you're just like filing through people and marrying multiple people and living together. You're watching heartache and struggle. And that's why if God is saying to us, this is my design for marriage. This is how I want to play out. Unfortunately, Jacob doesn't follow God's will for marriage between one man and one woman, which is controversial, but part of God's good design to show us something about him. We see him have multiple wives and it causes so much hurt in their family. So Jacob, what's he do? Or excuse me, Joseph. By the way, I'm gonna mess that up a lot this week. I'm gonna hang in there. Jacob, Joseph, hang with me. But Joseph, what does he do? He brings a bad report of his brothers to his father. He's kind of a tattletale. He runs back from the camp. Dad, Reuben hit me. They're not doing well. They're not listening. That's kind of his attitude. So you're kind of like, uh, you're kind of that guy. You're kind of the tattletale. You're the whiny beloved favorite kid. You're kind of annoying. That's kind of Joseph, verse three. Now Israel though, which is Jacob, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. The question later is why? Well, it tells us because he was the son of his old age. We'll get to in a little bit. And he made him a robe of many colors. You see a lot of favoritism, verse four. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, what did the brothers do? They hated Joseph and they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. What are we seeing? When unhealed wounds collide with unchecked desires, it results in ungodly choices that hurt you and hurt others. Guys, for a moment, can you just imagine, like what are Jacob's unhealed wounds in his life? The dad, what's his unhealed wounds? You guys remember that he was actually like a victim of favoritism? Remember his, his mom loved him, but his dad didn't love him. And he grew up in that home for a long time. He had so much conflict with his brother. And then he grew up watching all the wives fight for his dad's attention when he got none himself. Then when they're traveling back to this promised land, his mom, the person he has a close relationship with, dies. Rachel dies in chapter 35. And then to make matters worse, there's a huge family situation. There's an adulterous affair that happens. It happens between his son, Reuben, and his other wife, Bilhah. So what do we see? We see Jacob's wife dies. We see he dealt with favoritism. And then one of his son has an adulterous relationship with another one of his wives. So he's feeling hurt and anger and distrust. And then look at his desires as a result. 
at first he's got good desires, but listen, here's what happens with desires. Good desires pursued in wrong ways always leads us to hurt and heartache. You guys hear me? Good desires pursued in wrong ways always leads to hurt and heartache, and that's what happens. Guys, listen, it is good that Jacob was mourning his wife's passing. It's good that he's mourning Rachel's passing. That's a good thing. But look at how he's seeking to cope. He's seeking to cope by pursuing a deeper relationship with her firstborn son, Joseph, in attempts to maybe feel closer to her. And this is at the cost though of his other kids, which is not a good thing. Also, you see in this passage, maybe he has a desire for justice against Reuben since Reuben committed adultery with one of his wives, his kids, this is terrible. So he wants justice for Reuben, which is a good thing. After all, again, his son did betray him with his wife, Bilhah, but seeking to cope though, he began using Joseph as a spy. Just spy out, hey, Joseph, go, go check on what Reuben's doing. Make sure he's not doing crazy stuff in the field with the rest of the brothers because Reuben's the oldest and kind of in charge of the rest of the brothers. Go, go check on him. His desire for justice turns into this espionage spy game of his son rather than confronting and calling him out. Unchecked desires. Guys, anytime we have unhealed wounds and unchecked desires, it results in ungodly choices. And that's what happens Jacob favors and loves one of his kids so that he can feel closer to the wife he had that kid with. And to deal with the hurt with his son, Reuben, he's like, you gotta go spy on him. You just gotta go check. I don't know if I can trust him. Guys, this is what always happens. Past wounds, present desires unchecked, leads to hurt and heartache. Anytime, guys, we have hurt from the past, We've got present desires that begin to pull us and lead us in a direction. We need to seek healing, help, and hope in Christ rather than in creation. For example, here's what Jacob needed to hear. For the wounds of favoritism, he needed to hear Mark 1, verse 11, where God said to Jesus, and since we are in Christ, God is saying this to us. He needed to hear this. He needed to hear, hey, hey, Jacob, you are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. Jacob needed to see that he had a better father in heaven who loved him, even when his dad didn't. Does it make sense? Jacob needed to see, although Isaac did not love Jacob well, Jacob's got a better heavenly father that, that loves him. It heals the wounds of favoritism that he grew up in. His dad didn't love him, but he sees a God that you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We also see the wounds of losing a loved one in death. Something we all experience. We've all gone through losing a loved one, whether it be unfortunately a child or it could be a grandparent, could be a friend. And here's the hope we have. Here's the promise I wish Jacob would have heard, John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus says to all of us, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes in me, it's an invitation for anyone, whoever believes in me, though that person dies, Yet they shall live again in where? Heaven. Jacob needed to hear that to help him with the wounds of losing his wife, Rachel. He would see her again, connect with her in heaven so he didn't have to neglect his kids just trying to connect with Joseph. Last thing, he needed to hear some words to heal the wounds of betrayal. He was betrayed by his son, Reuben. He'd been hurt. What antidote does he need to hear? He needs to hear 
later what he would understand from Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for them, they meant evil against me, my brothers who threw me in the pit, which we'll see in a moment, but God meant it for good. We see in betrayal that although someone had hurt you, God can turn it around in order to bring good to you. That's the hope he needed. That's the hope Jacob needed to hear in the betrayal of his son. We talk about this often, Romans 8, 28. And for those that who love God, all things work according to that person's good. So betrayal never has the upper hand. God does. We even see Romans 12, 19 could be an antidote to help him in his feelings of hurt. Romans 12, 19 says, beloved, never avenge yourself. Like don't retaliate, don't seek revenge. Why? Leave it to the wrath of God. Let God handle it, it says. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Guys, when we deal with these unhealed wounds, in these unchecked desires, we need to turn for help, hope, and healing in Christ and not try to seek comfort or coping in any other places of creation like Jacob did. He sought it with favoritism to try to feel close to his wife again. He tried to spy out Reuben, kind of retaliating against him, picking Jacob or Joseph as his favorite and hurting Reuben. Guys, let's not act that way. Let me ask you, how are you coping? How are you coping with wounds from how you grew up. Think about how maybe things went with mom and dad at home or a guardian in your house. How was that for you? Oftentimes we're often responding out of that hurt. And so we're seeking a career to make us feel more important because we didn't feel important at home. We have to be in a dating relationship and have intimacy and romance because I did not get love and affection at home. So I've got to find it in that boy. I've got to find it in that girl. Maybe you always had to care for yourself growing up. You always had to look out for yourself because no one was looking out for you. You always had to pick yourself out of the bootstraps and figure out what college you're going to go to and how you're going to make enough money to live your life. No one cared for you. And so you turned to money money you will give me, the security I needed, the comfort I've got to have. You will take care of me, money, because I never was. Never was cared for at home. You see how easily this can be for all of us? Maybe I didn't say what connected with you, but all of us have unhealed wounds. And if we have unchecked desires, it will lead in ungodly ways that will hurt you and hurt others. So through this passage, through this scripture, we see, Jacob, there's a better way. Church, there's a better way. Turn to Christ, his word for the hope, help, and healing you need. Amen? Joseph. Let's look at Joseph. Joseph is the tattletale. Joseph needs some approval. He's got some hard things going on in his life. His brothers don't like him. His mom who gave him comfort passed away. None of the other sort of stepmoms that he has care for him well. Joseph's going through it. Verse two, it says, Joseph being 17 years old, he's just a kid, while pasturing the flock with his brothers. He's again, he's a boy. The sons of Bilhah and Zipporah, Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Tattletale, approval seeking. Guys, we even see this further in verse 13. When his dad says to him, hey, uh, Joseph, like, aren't your brothers like pasturing that flock near Shechem? Like, hey, like, come on, I'm gonna send you over to them over there. And then Joseph runs over. He's like, okay, here I am, dad. I'll do everything for you. Whatever you say, even this is not like the best way 
I'll do whatever. I just need your approval. I'll do whatever. I'll give over my relationships. I'll do whatever it takes. I just need your approval. Here I am. And so his dad says, hey, come, come now. I'm going to see if it's well with your brothers. Go check on Reuben. And then bring me word. Because here is that we see that Joseph is seeking the approval of his father by tattling on his brothers. He's trying to get into his good graces and get on his dad's good side so that he can keep up the favorite kid status. But the question is why? Why is he doing that? The question is why do you and I do the same thing? Why do you seek approval from your boss? Why are you working all the additional hours just to get the pat on the back? Why do you love people the way you do? Are you trying to manipulate care out of them? If I could just care for you, then, then I'll get the care I want. So you burn yourself out and you're trying your best to meet with everyone possible and love if people give over your time and money just so they would love you back. You burn out. All of us do this in some ways. And here's why. Because at some point in your life, guys, you started to believe that you had to earn the care and attention of others. Somewhere in your life, you start to think that. You stop believing that because you're made in God's image, you're worth care and attention. At some point in your life, you seek attention because you thought that you had to earn it, that you don't deserve it because you're made in the image of God because Christ died for you because you're worthy. You started to try to earn the care and love of others. And so what you tried to do is you found out what other people valued, what they deemed important. And then you got really good at that so that you could try to earn their care and attention. Guys, we all do this in various ways. And Joseph, Joseph does the very same thing. Guys, his unwounds, his unwounds, his unhealed wounds are these. Jacob grew up, flip that. Joseph, Joseph grew up in a really chaotic home. Remember, again, he watched his mom compete with three other women for the affection of his dad. Is he getting an attention and care, affection from his dad, from his mom, stepmom's brothers? No. But he's watching how all these women saying, this man will give me affection and attention. So I I, I want that too. If I'm going to get a piece of the pie and get cared for, then, then I've got to value what they value. Now I'm going to get this from dad too. Maybe dad's the source of what I can get care and attention. He watches his brothers fight for the attention of their moms and brothers and they're struggling all the time. But when Jacob's mom, excuse me, when Joseph's mom died, when Joseph's mom's mom died, he neither had his mom's attention any longer or his brother's affection. And so he turned to seek his dad's approval and then turned into his little spy. Even worse, unfortunately, Jacob sees, he seeks to use divine dreams as a way of pridefully drawing attention to himself, hoping that these divine dreams would give him attention and value and importance to himself. So in other words, here's what's happening, guys. Happens with you too. Listen, Joseph flips the strategy. He goes from tattling to get attention to start using religion to get attention. Starts using churchy stuff. Well, if I just serve and I'm the best person that loves people and pours my time into others, then I'll be seen as valuable and and needed and indisposable because of what I can add to this religious body. That's what Joseph starts doing. He's like, hey guys, look at this divine dream I had from God. Look at how important I am. 
And he starts to draw this religious value to himself. And again, he forgets what we forget. You're valuable because A, you're made in God's image. He shared part of his characteristics and attributes with you. And then most importantly, your value comes from the fact that God poured out his life on the cross for you. It's what he's done that makes you valuable. Not what you can do. Not what I can do. Verse five, here's how he does it. Jacob has this dream from God and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. You got the coat. Now you get dreams from God. Great. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed guys. And like, you can just tell he's like kind of younger. Cause like, you know, that if you're going to share this with people that don't like you, like it's not going to go well for you. He just is a little naive. He doesn't get it. And so he says, hear this dream I've dreamed guys. Verse seven, behold guys, we were buying some sheaves in the field and behold my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold your sheaves gathered around and they bowed down to my sheaf. So his brother said to him, are you indeed gonna like reign over us one day? You're just our punk brother. Are you indeed gonna rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But then he stepped up his game. Verse nine, he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and he said this, Behold, I have dreamed another dream, guys. It's a different analogy this time. Listen up. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother or the current mother that's taking care of him now since his mom, original mom had passed away? And brothers indeed, are you they're gonna come down and bow before you on the ground? Verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. What do we see with Joseph? When unhealed wounds collide with unchecked desires, it results in ungodly choices that hurt you and hurt others. So church, let me ask you, if you were meeting with Joseph, if you're trying to care for him in this place, what gospel antidotes would you give him? How would you help him with his unhealed wounds and his unchecked desires to seek approval in his dad and just be willing to do everything to boast, to try to get attention for himself. Look how important I am. Look how much scripture I know. Look at how I've been educated and trained. Look how much money I have. Look at everything I know. Give me attention. What would you say to him? I think he needs to hear these precious words from scripture that many of us know. He needs to be reminded that love comes from God and it can't come from anyone else. John 3, 16, we know this. He needs to hear, hey, Joseph, for God so loved the world, yes, but he loved you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. He needs to hear Romans 5, 8. Hey, Joseph, listen, God showed his love for you and that while you were still sinner, you didn't have to earn your way to him. God made a way to you. He died for you. Church, listen, you, you need to hear the same thing. You don't have to earn the care and attention of others. And don't use religion to do it. Don't use our church to do it. Look to the cross and you see that Jesus has both proved and earned the love for you through how he lived perfectly, died sacrificially, and rose victoriously in your place. Amen? Lastly, the brothers, the brothers. What about them? What have they been through? What are the wounds there? What are the desires there? We see in verse four, 
the brothers. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any, all the brothers, because again, of that coat of many colors, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. By the way, if you're a Bible nerd and you're wanting some backstory, like why does everyone want the coat of many colors? Like, was it just the cool fad during that day? Coat of many colors could be sold for a ton of money. All the cloth and fabric and material that went into that, all the colors that were challenging to find, you could sell that. And it was kind of a piece of inheritance that the dad was giving to Joseph. You could sell that, make a ton of money, which by the way, in the future is why Judah is like, let's sell him for money because he needs some cash because he thinks that that's what we'll care for him, by the way. But he has this coat, but it also means authority. This coat means authority. It's kind of like when you, you go to a restaurant, you can see this, like all, all the servers have one thing and then like the owner or the manager, they have another uniform. You go to Chick-fil-A and everyone has a different color and you're like, okay, this is, I guess this is the status, this is the hierarchy. You wear the coat of many colors, you're the grand poobah, you're, you're the boss. It carries authority. But Joseph's not the oldest, Reuben is. He's the firstborn son of Leah. He should get that. That's why everyone's so upset. It's the worth of the coat and the status it brings to authority. So they all hate him because they don't get it. Verse eight. So after, after uh, excuse me. Yeah, after uh, the coat happens, then Jacob tells him this dream from God. And then the brothers are like, hey, dude, are you gonna like reign over us? You already have everything, dude. Dad loves you. You've got money, wealth. You've got authority. What more? Are you gonna reign over our whole lives now? And they begin to feel this impending doom, thinking that his brother is going to be sovereign over him rather than God. By the way, guys, if you feel stuck somewhere and you think that maybe an employer, a relationship, something that happened in the past with like a parent, you think like that has authority and like determines your future. Like I want you to see that God is the one that's sovereign over your future. No matter what sort of setback you had in your life, God's the one that's sovereign over your future. And that's what he needs to hear. That's what the brothers need to know. But unfortunately, the hate just keeps increasing them. They hated him for the dream. They hated him for the words. Then Jacob, excuse me, Joseph has a second dream, Joseph does. And then we learn verse 11 that his brothers were jealous of him. And then here's what happens. Remember the dad's like, hey, go out in the field. Go check on the boys. Go out to Reuben, see what they're doing out there. So Joseph travels out there, which by the way, it's like 60 miles away from where they're at. At first, it was like 45 miles to Shechem. And then the brothers weren't doing what they're supposed to do because like they hate their dad. They're like, I'm not serving him right now. I'm tired, I'm going to Dotham. And so Joseph travels 15 more miles to go and see him. And verse 18, the brothers see Joseph coming from afar. And before he could even like get near, all the brothers get together, they do a little football huddle and they conspire against him to kill him. The hate is at an all time high now. Verse 19, and they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. They start mocking him. Like that's his nickname in the house. It's the dreamer. Come now, they say, let us kill him and throw him into the pits. They're done. They hate him. The seeds of bitterness have grown out into the full-fledged tree of destruction. And so then they say, hey, then we're gonna lie about what happened. Then we're gonna say to our dad that a fierce animal has devoured him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Man, they hate him. So when Joseph comes to sneak and spy on his brothers, they trap him, verse 23. They strip him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. 
The pit was empty and there was no water in it. By the way, this pit could be between 15 and 20 feet deep. They would often fill it with water or they could fill it with crops that they were going to harvest later. It's a huge, huge pit that he couldn't get out. Now guys, when I first read what was going on with the brothers, and I just keep reading the words hate. Do you see that a lot? See that numerous times they just hate, hate, hate. They've got anger, anger, anger. They've got jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. And I thought that that was the root issue in their hearts was anger, was hate. Until I read this one liner by C.S. Lewis and it revealed really what the core problem was. Let me share it. Here's the one liner. C.S. Lewis said, I sat with my own anger long enough until it told me that its real name was actually grief. As if you look at your own life, what you're most angry about is probably where you've been hurt the most. You've been mistreated. You've, you've been harmed. You feel like someone has stripped you of your coat of dignity. You felt like you deserve that love or, or that care. You, you wish your spouse would care more for you, that they would listen when you ask them to help you with something. And then when they don't, you get angry. Why? Because you don't feel like they care for you. And your anger is actually grief. It's sadness, it's hurt, it's pain. And when it's not healed, that grief lashes out with a new mask called anger. Guys, that's what we see with these boys. They're hurting They've grown up all their life without a love from their father. Grown up without love from their mother. Grown up without peace in their home. They had a desire for love. This is the unchecked desire. They had a desire for love, which is good. And it went unmet. And that love that they wanted, it went to another. It went to their brother. And so the seed of bitterness was born out of a good desire, but it turned into mockery stretched into hate, ended up growing fruit, a plotting murder, all because of this grief. And so what do these boys need to hear? What do you need to hear in your grief and your pain and your hurt? What do you need to hear? You need to hear this gospel antidote from Romans 8. Here's what you need to hear. If God is for you, who actually has the power to be against you. Like who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation or distress? Is it that you weren't picked or loved as much as Joseph? Was it persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation, no matter the harm, the abuse, the neglect, the lack of care, nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Guys, for our hearts, when we're angry and hurting about what's happened in our lives, yes, there might need to be moments of us pursuing justice and absolutely and not retaliation, but justice absolutely. But really what's often behind anger is just grief. I wish I was better cared for. I wish I was better loved. I'm just, I'm just angry that I'm always having to give over myself. Always having to give up my time. It's not that you don't want to serve. It's not that you want to love. It's that you don't feel served. You don't feel loved. You need to hear 
It's, it's, it's God's love for you. That's going to fill up that pit of grief that you have. That's what the brothers need to hear. That's what you need to hear. Last few moments in this section here, guys, I just want to highlight Reuben for a moment and, and Judah. Just want to highlight them for a brief moment. Reuben also has his way, by the way, of trying to earn approval with his dad. Because remember, he wasn't loved really well growing up either. Because he always watched the entire time that his dad actually loved another woman, Rachel, and not his mom, Leah. And that family side got love. Joseph got love. Leah or Rachel got love. But yet he and his mom, like, didn't. Like, Leah wasn't even the woman that Jacob wanted to marry. And so he grows up just watching this. And so he's like, I'm mad at my dad. And so he committed this act of adultery earlier with another wife because it's like, a stab against his dad. But then he kind of wants to earn his way back. He's like, oh, I just need this approval. I, I'm addicted to it. I've got to have it. And so here's what happens. Verse 21. Verse 21. When Reuben heard about this plot to kill Jacob. Ugh, I'll get there, guys. When Reuben heard this plot to kill Joseph, Here's what Reuben did. He rescued him out of their hands saying, hey, hold on guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Hey guys, don't, don't throw him in the pit here in death. Let's just throw him in the pit here in the wilderness. And like, let's leave him there. Don't lay a hand on him. And here's why though. Here's the motive that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him where? To his father. He's trying to earn his dad's approval again. Guys, I'm not gonna lie, all of us in this room, you're trying to seek approval and you're looking for some sort of, whether it's a father wound or a guardian wound, you're looking for someone's value worth approval. And he's trying to cope with his guilt and shame and his lack of love. He feels so much guilt. He's like, maybe if I can just return him to dad, then, then I'll be forgiven. And here's what Reuben needs to hear. Here's what you need to hear in your guilt and shame, Christian. You don't gotta earn your way back to God by offering some sacrifice to your heavenly father. The sacrifice has already been made. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, amen? You don't have to give a sacrifice to the father because Jesus was your sacrifice to get the love that you crave, the approval that you want the most. He also needs to hear, like maybe you this morning, is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? How? Through his death on the cross for you. Guys, you can't earn your way back to God. You can't sacrifice enough to the father. You need the sacrifice of the better son, Jesus in your place. That's what Reuben needs to hear. Lastly, Judah Judah has a word that he needs as well for his unhealed wounds. Here's what happens. They, the brothers throw him in the pit and then a caravan of Ishmaelites, which remember if kind of the very beginning, there's this kind of war between the chosen sons. Is it Isaac? Is it Ishmael? Ishmael grows up and has this huge family line that's kind of against Isaac's family line. And the Ishmaelites pop up again. They come from Gilead with their camels. And Judah sees them coming through and he's like, wait a second, I got an idea here. They're traveling through on camels with goods and they're about to go trade their goods with somebody. I've got an idea. Judah said to his brothers, hey guys, what profit is it if we kill our brother and then conceal his blood and try to hide it? He's like, come guys, let us go sell our brother to the Ishmaelites. 
Like, come on, guys, this is a great idea. Let's not take, then he gets all moral for a second. Like, he's like, let's not have our hands on him. Like, he's our, he's our brother, right? Let's not like get his blood. He says, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him and his brothers listen to him. So what did the brothers do? Verse 28, they drew Joseph up out of the pit and they handed him over and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Guys, Judah was coping with his wounds. He didn't think anymore that a person would care for him. He gave up on that idea. And so he's just gonna take what he wants to try to care for himself. He's like, no one's gonna care for me. No one's gonna give me anything. You're gonna see that happen next week that he even takes a person and abuses them for his own gain. Judah's convinced that no one will take care of me. No one will care for me. There's nothing valuable enough to love me. And so he's like, I need money. Money will be my security. Guys, is that anybody in the room? that you look at your bank account, you're anxious about how much money you have, how much debt you might have, and you're constantly anxious thinking that this money, this is, this is the thing that will take care of me. This is what's gonna give me a bright and hopeful future. This is my Jeremiah 29, 11. This is the plans that God will have for me for my future. I need this. That is Judah. Guys, money is not what will ultimately care for you. This is what he needs to hear. And this is what you need to hear. The gospel antidote from Philippians 3. Let me read to you. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Nothing I could gain, no money, no position would equate to being in Christ. Verse eight, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. Guys, we've got to substitute out money for our maker. He's the only one who will give us comfort and the security that Judah needs and that you needed. Church, unhealed wounds that mix with unchecked desires always results in ungodly choices that hurt you and hurt others. Last point here, guys. This is quick. Devastating setbacks, devastating setbacks are turned into divine setups in the hands of a sovereign God. If you've been with our church in the past few years, like we've seen this all throughout the Bible. Primarily, we even saw this with our series on Esther, seeing how a devastating setback can be turned into a divine setup in the hands of a sovereign God. Guys, everything is going downhill for Joseph. Everything has tanked. He hears his brothers plotting murder. They throw him in a pit. They're gonna sell him into slavery for only 20 pieces of silver. The dude's like, Coat of many colors is worth more. He's at his lowest point, the deepest setback. And here's what we see. These, verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up. They lit him out of the pit. They sold him for 20 shekels. And they took Joseph to Egypt. The setback turned into a setup. I'll get to it in a moment. They took him to Egypt. That's interesting. Took him to Egypt. Verse 37. Meanwhile, the Midianites, when they got to Egypt... They sold him to Potiphar. Who's Potiphar? It's an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. He goes from the pit and he's moved to the palace. God's doing something intentionally here. Now listen, Joseph's got a few more unfortunate steps ahead, but listen, God has him on a path for greater reasons than he knows. Guys, listen, Joseph's gonna end up becoming the second in command over 
all of Egypt in a time of one of the greatest regional famines in history. And God will use Joseph and his position to actually protect and provide for the family that hurts him and protects and provides for all the families in the land. In other words, God allowed the pit in order to bring him to the palace in order to provide for his family so that ultimately through that family line, it would be preserved so that a Messiah could come and die and rescue that rescue anyone that's been caught dead in a pit of sin. That's the point of the story. Preserve Joseph, preserve this family so that through their family line would come a savior that rescues anyone who would believe from the pit of sin. See, because, because Jesus is the better Joseph, church. Jesus is the better Joseph. Jesus was thrown into the pit of death in the grave on your behalf. Did you notice how many Christ connections there are in this passage? Like how often does Joseph point to Jesus here? Wasn't Christ deeply loved by his father too? Wasn't Jesus hated for his words and revelations of a future? Like wasn't, didn't Jesus have people conspire against him? Didn't Jesus have murder plotted against him? Wasn't Jesus betrayed by his closest companions? Wasn't Jesus sold also? He was sold for 30 pieces of silver rather than Joseph's 20 pieces. Wasn't Jesus stripped of his clothes? Wasn't Jesus thrown into a pit as well, a pit of a grave after a gruesome death on a wooden cross? And more, more than a slaughtered goat that his clothes would be dipped in, wasn't Jesus actually the slaughtered lamb? And we're not just dipped in him, we are covered in his blood of forgiveness and we're covered in his robe of many colors of righteousness. So church, listen, because Jesus, because Jesus is the better Joseph, listen, you church, you have a better love from a better father. You have a fuller healing that awaits for you in heaven. Church, you have a better hope that even in your devastating setback, God will turn it into a divine setup for your good and his glory. As Joseph would soon say himself, church, all of us will say, what the world meant for evil against me, God meant it for my good to bring about that many people will be kept alive, meaning kept alive, pointed to Christ, given new hope in him. So church, listen, as we close, if this morning you feel stuck in that pit, you feel stuck in some relationship, some marriage, some job, some place in life. Maybe you don't even want to be in Boston. Like you hate it here. You just moved here and you're like, I hate my life. Maybe you had some unhealed wound in your past that you're still walking with a limp because of how hard and hurtful it was. Maybe you feel stuck in a pit, but I want you to know that God has you in that place even if you don't want to be in that place. And God's gonna take that setback and he's gonna turn it into a setup for your good and God's glory. Church, if you do belong to him this morning, you can be assured like Joseph that you will get a happy ending. You will get a better ending. You will get a heavenly ending. Your life doesn't end in the pit. No matter what hardship setback you're in, you're not gonna be left there in the pit because there was a better son sold and sacrificed so that you could return to the father. You could go back home.
You could be loved and forgiven and cared for. All the, who, all, all the wounds, all, all the hurts healed. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. Church, God gives the greatest grace for the greatest sins and the greatest setbacks. Let's pray.